Hey, we're glad you're here. We just finished Mark, and before we go, I, we're going to go into 1 Corinthians next week, and I was working on that, and I was thinking, well, I might just take this inter- intervening week and talk about, uh, not talk about what's happening in Europe, but talk about what the Bible has to say about the future, and I think that future includes Russia, and uh, so I want to do that this morning. We're going to do it out of Ezekiel chapter 38, 39. We'll go there in just a moment. But my question to you is, is there a biblical significance for what Russia is doing? And when we're talking about Russia at the current time, we're talking about Putin because Putin is, uh, he is Russia. And he, uh, there are a lot, of, a lot of people in Russia who probably don't agree with him, probably just like us. They wish they had options, but uh, they, they don't. And so, but, so we're talking about Putin himself and Russia uh, being led by him. You know, the proverb said that, that God holds the heart of the kings in the palm of his hand, turns it whithersoever he will. And so uh, overarching this lesson is that nothing happens in our world, nothing happens in my life or your life that God does not ordain. And uh, so we... Our, our problem we have with that is that we, we don't mind the good things. We have a problem with the evil. And so we think, why does God ordain evil in our, our world? Well, he didn't create evil. Evil is man's creation, and uh, God allows it, and he, he ordains to use it for his glory and fulfill his purposes. Um, I'm going to give you a very brief history, uh, just and it may not be 100% correct, and so don't worry about that. But after World War II, Russia was a superpower. One of the uh, superpowers, the U.S. was a superpower, and Russia was a threat to the West, to the U.S. especially. Uh, you probably remember when we were in school, um, we would do, some of you will remember this, you know, we'd do a, a drill if the, if the Russians were going to come You'd get underneath your desk. <laughs> so, now I could be very silly and say, today when the pandemic comes, you know, you get underneath your desk. <laughs> and they're just about as effective. It's just about as effective. You always thought if a nuclear bomb hit, it was really good to be under your desk. You know, that would really, that would really help you. <laughs> so, so, over the next few decades after World War II, uh, Russia's economic policies basically uh, destroyed them. And, and I should say the USSR. And uh, so the USSR was a, a conglomeration of nations like the, the United States is a conglomeration of states. We're, we are a federation of states, and they included uh, multiple countries under the umbrella of the USSR, and Russia controlled them. Uh, Russia was uh, their governing governing power. And then when their economy began to collapse under their policies, um, I, I, you know, again, I'm not going to give you much detail, but, but basically they fell apart. And we remember, I, rem- I should talk about me, I remember the Berlin Wall coming down. You probably do as well. I didn't really realize because I wasn't paying attention. I didn't really care, but... The USSR came apart. Not only the Berlin Wall came down, but in the early 90s, uh, 1990s, the USSR came apart. And out of that, uh, 14 other countries gained their independence from out, out from under the USSR. And uh, so Russia then was the 15th, 
and then there are 14 other countries. You look at a map, it's really interesting. Russia had the main body of land, but much of it is, uh, you know, you, it's, not, it's useless, and you go up through Siberia and all, but so around to their east and to their south, these countries became independent. Some of the Baltic states, Ukraine, Georgia, Belarus, uh, uh, and then others down south, southern, the southern area between them and Israel would be uh, the stands, the stands, Krakistan, all, I can't even pronounce them. But, so, and they became independent, and, and when that happened, Russia lost about, I mean, the USSR lost about half their population, and they lost about half of their gross national product. And so all of a sudden, they're not a third-rate country, but they're a second-rate country, and they have lost their superpower status. Uh, Putin, as you know, you've heard on television, was a KBG agent in, in Berlin when the Berlin Wall came down. And uh, he has said himself, he's written and said that the dissolution of the USSR was the, 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 the worst geopolitical event that's ever happened. And uh, so he intends to rectify it. And we saw uh, a couple of decades ago, he went into Georgia and uh, uh, tried to take back Georgia. And then in 2014, he went into Crimea, which is part of Ukraine, and took that. And now he is taking Ukraine and uh, no telling where he will stop. And so he, he and, I, and the question I want to ask biblically, is there a reason he's doing this? Uh, the world's against him, but he doesn't really care. And uh, he is uh, one of the most richest men in the world, so he's not doing it for money. Uh, he is doing it. He's being drawn to do this uh, probably for glory. He wants the USSR. He wants... I can't, I can't speak to his motive, but he himself has said he wants the USSR to be, he wants Russia to be what it was uh, before. And so he is being driven. I believe when we read Ezekiel 38, 39, that God has a hook in his jaw and is drawing him to do this. He's going to come against Israel one day. He or Russia, he may not be around, but Russia is going to come against Israel one day. And to do that, they have to have somewhat of a superpower status once again. Now, they're a nuclear power. There's no doubt about that. So this is not a political lesson. This is not, uh, I'm just giving that little background to say, you know, that they were diminished and now they're coming back. And it seems like, and, and one day, they will be powerful enough to move against Israel and the world will watch. And so that's what the Lord speaks about. God has a plan, and he has a plan for every nation under earth. You remember in, in Acts chapter 17, the Bible says there that God has established every nation, and he established their boundaries and their times. So he is in complete control. He, he understands that Russia is going into Ukraine, and I think, I think God has a heart for the people who are suffering and, uh, and, and we should have a heart for that, and however you want to respond to, 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 to that, I hope you do to some, some degree. But we, we should have a heart, and God has a heart for that, but God has a plan to use man's evil 
for his glory, and I think that's what's happening. It's happening, happens in my life, happens in yours, and it's happening in the nations. God is in control uh, of the nations. So first, and all, all the purpose of the other nations are for the, are for the purpose of Israel and God being glorified through Israel. That's what we're finding in Ezekiel. And we're going to read first in chapter uh, 36. Um, and, and we read in 36, verse 26, we read about Israel. He sa- God's saying, I will give you a new heart, put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Now, what has happened to Israel when Ezekiel is speaking? Israel was was developed by God as a covenant people, and they had turned away and were not glorifying Him. They had turned into toward idolatry, and God had uh, had had held them accountable in various ways and through the captivity and the Babylon. And but He's saying that one day, one day He's going to take that heart of stone. The heart of stone means they're not responding to God. They're not. They, they have no spirituality. Uh, they, they're not saved. They're lost. And, and they, they're not honoring him. <clears throat> and he said, verse 27, I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and you will keep my judgments and do them. Put his spirit in them means they're going to be saved. That is really what he means. They're going to be saved. And then when you're saved, you follow him and you keep his statues. And, and then he said in verse 28, You shall dwell in the land that I gave your fathers. You shall be my people, and I will be your God. I will deliver you from all your uncleanness. I will call for the grain and multiply it and bring no famine upon you. So God is saying to them, I am going to do this in the nation of Israel. When we look at this, it's never happened. It has not happened yet. They're they're coming back into the land, but they don't have a, they don't have a spirit toward God. Uh, Israel is basically a secular nation today. When when we see the Wailing Wall, we see Israelis who are uh, religious or orthodox, however you want to say it. But they're not Christian. They don't believe Jesus is their Messiah. They haven't trusted Him as their Savior. So, but God's going to work in the nation of Israel, and they're going to glorify Him. And one of the ways he's going to do it is through the nations. And uh, the nations have, have, re, have rejected God. I want to read to you. Um, I couldn't find who actually quoted this. It came out of the commentary of Jammer Fawcett and Brown. But it said, God's mercy was extended to all nations of the past, which were polytheistic. It means they believed in some kind of God. Egypt, Assyria, Babylon. But here in Ezekiel, it is stated from the beginning I am against thee, O God, and he says Russia. Russia is the first nation of the world to adopt an atheistic philosophy of life and government. It is possible, said Plutarch, to find cities without walls, without kings, without wealth, without letters, with learning, without theaters, but a city without a temple or that practices not worship, no man ever saw. And then he said this, but Stalin boasted, we have deposed the sars of the earth, we shall now dethrone the Lord of heaven. And so that is their spirit, and their their spirit toward God, and their spirit toward the nation of Israel who represents God. And so we read this, God has a future 
for Israel. Chapter 37, if you're familiar with it, uh, Ezekiel has a vision of the dry bones in a valley. And God says to him, can these bones live? This is the nation of Israel. Can these bones live? And, and Ezekiel said, you know, I don't. You know, can they? And basically saying they will if you want them to, and, and uh, I trust you. And so he said, prophesy to these bones. And then we read in verse 7 of chapter 37. So I prophesied as, as, as I commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise, and suddenly a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinew and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. And he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O, o breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. Now you remember in John 3 that Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus, and he said, the wind bloweth where it will, and you can't see it, but that's like the spirit. And so I think there's a, I think there's a relationship. So he's saying that the wind's going to bring the spirit from the four winds, and the spirit's going to come and breathe on these that they may live. In verse 10, so I prophesied, he's commanded me, and breath, came, uh, and breath came unto them, and they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army, but not until the end of the tribulation. This takes place at the end of the tribulation. And then they come as a nation to believe in Christ as their Messiah. The tribulation period Daniel's 70th week is designed to bring Israel to faith. It's the time of Jacob's trouble, is what Jeremiah said. It's going to bring Israel to faith. So that is the timing of, of, of chapter 37. And he goes the rest of that chapter in, in verse 15 down to 23, which we won't read. And he's saying that he tells him to get two sticks, you bring them together, and that's that. That's, that is the northern kingdom, southern kingdom. And he said, they become one, they'll never be divided again. So there's not going to be a division in the nation of Israel when they come back together again. So now the role of Russia in chapter 38. Read with me verse 1 through 6. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and prophesy against him. And say, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. I will turn you around, put hooks into your jaws, and lead you out with all your army, horses and horsemen, all splendidly clothed, a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Persia, which is today is Iran, Ethiopia and Libya, all are with them, all of them with shield and helmet, Gomer, and all of its troops, the house of Tegor, that's probably Armenia and some of the, uh, some of the Stan countries uh, just north of Israel and, and used to be a part of the USSR. Um, many people are with you. In verse 7, prepare yourselves and be ready. Um, and so here, here's what, and let me be honest with you, there's, uh, there's some commentators who do not believe this is Russia. Uh, Russia is not mentioned. The word Russia is not mentioned. Uh, they think this might be just the nations who are just to the north of Israel, but actually it speaks to the far north. Most conservative commentators that I read after believe this is Russia and the satellite nations are going to join with them. And, you know, and when we look at what's happening in the world today, we know that Russia has bases in Syria already. 
they are a proxy of Iran. They are, they are supporting them. And uh, so it's really interesting when you see the world stage being set for this. And so God is saying, I'm doing it. I am doing it. I'm going to do this. I'm going to put hooks in your jaw. You know, and here's the dilemma. And I feel like, to be honest with you, we need to deal with the dilemmas. Here's the dilemma. If they're going to do this, if they're they're going to go into Ukraine, they're going to go one day uh, in the end end of time. uh, Probably, I think this is going to happen probably in the first part of the tribulation. Some, some conservative commentators believe it's going to happen before the tribulation takes place. But anyway, we don't, it doesn't really matter if it's going to happen. It's going to happen in, in conjunction with the tribulation. And so how does God use evil? How does he use evil? How, does he, how, do, how, do we reconcile, how do we reconcile that in our mind and with, a, with a good God and a God who is sovereign, who can control evil, why didn't he just eradicate it? Well, if he was doing that, he'd eradicate me and you. We wouldn't, we wouldn't be here uh, because we have a fallen nature as well. But God uses it for his glory. When he, uh, when he has righteous judgment, that is one of the attributes of God that is manifest against evil. And unless and, and evil had some kind of... I'm just giving you my philosophy uh, my understanding of theology, unless evil has some impact in our world, we never understand the righteousness of God. Uh, unless I was a sinner, I would never understand, to, to, to in some degree that I can't understand it, the grace of God. So we understand more of God's majesty and his attributes because we live in a fallen world. And God allows us to see that he's sovereign and that he one day will balance all, all, all these things, and his name w- will be glorified. So God works through the evil nature of man and nations. You remember in Matthew 25, Jesus said, and if you were here that Wednesday night, we talked when I gave the overview of Revelation, or if you were here a couple of years ago, we went through the book of Revelation, and, and Jesus gave an overview of the end times in Matthew chapter 25. And the first thing he said, the general signs will be, there will be from this time forward, saying to his disciples and those listening, there will be wars and rumors of wars until the end. I mean, it's going to, and, and we've seen that in our world. We haven't been touched by it unless you served in Afghanistan or Vietnam or somebody in your family did. But we have, we've never been invaded uh, in, in our nation, and so we're not touched by it like the people in Ukraine are being touched by it today. And that, I don't know about you, but it should break our heart when, when we see that. But, so, how do we rectify it? God, God is using the evil of mankind for his purposes. Here's the timing of the invasion in verse 7. Prepare yourself, be ready, you and your, and your companies that are gathered about you, and be a guard for them. After many days, you will be visited. In the latter years, you will come into the land of those brought back from the sword. Now, those brought back from the sword is Israel, and gathered from many people on the mountains of Israel, which have long been desolate. They were brought out of the nations, and now all of them dwell safely." 
We know that in 1917, the Balfour Declaration after World War II allowed the Jews to immigrate to Israel, or what the Palestine. And then in 1948, they declared themselves a nation. And, but the truth is, there are more Jews living in the world today than living in Israel. Uh, in fact, at one time, there were more in the New York area than there were in Israel. And so I think that's shifting as time, as time goes on, because it's been since 1948, so it's been 70 years or so. And so, <clears throat> so that's shifting, but there's still Jews around the world. Uh, the, the, the current president of Ukraine is from a Jewish background. I don't know if he's practicing Jew or what, but he's from a, a Jewish family. And so there's just Jews around the world. But the Lord is saying, in these latter days, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring them to Israel. Uh, I'm going to bring them. They're going to come in mass to Israel, and they are going to, to dwell there. And then we read in verse 10, God's plan. Thus says the Lord God, On that day it shall come to pass that thoughts will arise in your heart, in your mind, and you will make an evil plan. Now he's speaking to the leadership of, of Gog and Magog. Gog is the leader, Magog is the land. So he's speaking to this, that's who he's still speaking to. I'm going to draw you down here. In the latter days, uh, that thoughts will arise in your mind, and you will make an evil plan. I think we see that happening. Uh, we, we see that happening in Ukraine, that, that uh, Putin has an evil plan. And so thoughts arise in his mind, and he has an evil plan. I keep thinking of things that make, maybe make this more clear about what happens. You remember on one occasion when David was king and he decided he would number the fighting men of Israel, which God had forbid. And the reason God had forbid it, it seems clear, is that you would trust then the number of fighting men you had instead of trusting God. It, David wasn't king of Israel because he had fighting men, because of 300 mighty men with him or however many it was. David was king of Israel because God made him king of Israel. And David knew that. He said so in the Psalms. He took him from following the sheep and made him a shepherd to his people. But, it, but he, he tended to forget that. He tended to forget that in, in his ease and in his plenty and in his power. And it corrupted him. And he numbered the fighting men of Israel. And, and, but you, you read about it in Kings. And it's David's thought. When you read about it in Chronicles... It's Satan that put that in his mind. That's what happens here. That's what we're talking about here is that there's this, uh, uh, you'll have evil thoughts arise in your mind. And who is that? That's, that's satanic. That's satanic against the nation of Israel and the God's people. Verse 11, you will say, I will go up against the land of unwalled villages. I will go to a peaceful people who dwell safely all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates, to take plunder and to take booty and stretch out your hand against the waste places that are again inhabited and against the people gathered from the nations who have acquired livestock and goods who dwell in the midst of the land. <laughs> okay, when, when we read this, Israel's not living in a land that's unprotected and unwalled villages. Uh, that's probably the most armed nation around. I mean, uh, the, you know, every, every reservist, they carry their guns with them. And so this is not happening now. But you know what's going to happen in the tribulation time is that, and leading up to it, 
there's going to become a ten-nation confederation that is the revived Roman Empire, headed by the person who will become the Antichrist. And, and so it's headed this ten-nation confederation. And when in the tribulation, when the tribulation starts, it starts with this leader of the revived Roman Empire, Empire makes a covenant with Israel for their protection. And I don't know what part of Israel's gross national product goes to defense, but probably a lot of it. And when they can put that out to irrigation and they put that out to technology, Israel is a booming place. Israel, uh, and, and so that's why the, one of the reasons the Arab nations around them, I mean, they instinctively hate them. Now, I'm not talking about every Arab, but, it, but the nations, they instinctively hate them uh, because they're there, because they exist, and it's satanic. It's just an anti-Semitism is satanic, and it, it is happening in our world. You've probably seen on the news, there's a, it's happening in the United States a lot. It seems like it's increased in the last 10 years or so, and really increasing now. People, people for some reason, they hate the Jewish people, and, they're, they're, and they may not even know any. But so what's happening, at this point, they're going to be living in peace. So that has to be during the tribulation time when their peace is guaranteed by the person and the ten-nation confederation of the revived Roman Empire and by the person leading that who's going to become the Antichrist in the tribulation. He's going to be recognized as the Antichrist. And so it's not happening now. These are in the... The days to come is what we read here. Many days, verse 8, and many days from, from this. Okay, I'm trying to be concise. I'm trying to get it all in. And so you may have questions. If we have a few minutes at the end, I'll try to, uh, I'll try to deal with them. Sometimes I get to talking and I confuse myself. So if you're a little confused, I'm sorry. So... so um, why do they want to conquer Israel? And it just, there are probably going to be some economic reasons. They can probably justify it for economic reasons. Uh, we know Ukraine, if you read much about history, Ukraine is the breadbasket of Europe. Uh, Ukraine will increase the economy of the Russian Federation. Uh, Ukraine is going to be very profitable to, to Russia. Uh, when they, if they can keep it, if they can conquer it, if they can keep it. I'm saying if, I don't know. And so I, it may be very hard to do that, but they did Crimea. And so when these things happen, they have this incentive to increase their glory and increase their power. And, uh, it, and you know, the, the truth is, I, I remember hearing Al Mohler say, you who listen to him, that most tyrants, it's like riding a tiger. And, and so, and if you ever get off, the tiger eats you, so you can't get off. And, and what's happening, what happened through the breakup of the USSR is the tiger got off, I mean, the, the rider got off, and the tiger ate him, and it broke up. And Putin knows that if he were to retire or something, they'd just kill him. So the next leader, ruler would just kill him. And I, again, I don't know that 100%, but probably about 98%. And so what, what would happen is that that's what he did to all his opposition, and so what happens is that the people of Russia, at some point in time, when they get hungry enough, they're going to rebel. And that, that's what happened when they break up the USSR. It, it, it's, what, 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 it's what we would do. 
hopefully we'd have the courage to do the same thing. When, when our leadership becomes so oppressive to our daily lives and our freedom and our feeding our children, we're going to rebel. And, and so uh, he knows that, and so he has to have uh, war generates your economy, and it brings in booty. And so he knows that, and that's what he, he has to do it, and he wants to do it, and he wants it to be glorified, and he wants the people to be behind him. That's why all the rhetoric that he gives us on, on television. I, I'm, I'm, not, I, I'm trying very carefully not to give you his motive because I don't know his motive. We don't know people's motive. But we're, we're looking at his actions and making a biblical application of his actions. And so, why does he do it? Uh, Israel, at this time, is going to be very prosperous. They already are, and they're going to be very prosperous. A lot of people think there will be great oil reserves then, and uh, that will be attractive to them. Uh, the warm water ports will be attractive to them. And then there's just this anti-Semitic drive that they want to destroy them. And, and that they're led by the hook in their jaw to come and destroy them. And God does that for his glory because he's going to turn it around upon them. Um, when we read verse 13, I think very interesting. Sheba, Dedan, and the merchants of Tarshish, and all their young lions will say to you, Have you come to take plunder? Have you gathered your army to take booty, to carry away silver and gold, to take away livestock and goods, to take great plunder? That's what the U.S. did when they took Crimea. We said, shame on you, you can't do that. But they did, and we didn't do anything. And that's what we're doing today. And I don't care if you're a Republican or a Democrat, that's what we're doing today. I'm not blaming Biden. I'm not blaming, blaming, blaming Biden. <laughs> so, and I hope you don't. Uh, you know, Biden doesn't control all of our country. We, we have a, a government that, of a Congress and, and uh, the Supreme Court, and so he doesn't have all the power. And uh, the Republicans were in power for a long time, and they didn't do much different. And so I, I, I want you to understand that this is not political. This is just simply what's going to happen. When we read that, some of the commentators believe that the young lions would include the, the U.S. So what's a young lion? A young lion comes from the mother lion. We came from Britain. I mean, we're a product of Britain, and, and we came from them, and we may be included in that. We may be saying, oh, shame on you. You can't do that. You can't do that. And that's really what we're doing today. And I put in the notes. I'll probably take it out before I send it to you. <laughs> but that's kind of silly, really. You know, a lot of the rhetoric we're hearing on the news from our politicians is just silly. You know, I mean, it's just saying we're saying that we're going to shame Putin into not doing this. It doesn't seem to be working. Uh, you know, I don't know about you. I never thought it would, but I'm not a politician, and I don't have the wisdom of God. But it just, it just, you know, it just seems a little silly. If it wasn't for the innocent people, I, it would be just laughable about the world's response to Putin, and he simply doesn't care. Uh, it's not going to affect him. He's not going to miss a single meal. I doubt if he misses any sleep. Somebody asked me the other day, is Putin married? And I don't know. I don't know. Anybody know? Huh? She's a doctor. 
Well, good. Maybe she gives him sleeping pills then. <laughs> that he, he sleeps just fine. Okay. Now, those are just my opinion. That sounding, that sounding familiar is my opinion. It just sounds familiar. This is what we're doing today. It's what's going to happen in the future. It happened in 2014. The world looked on. When China takes Taiwan, we're going to do the same thing. Now, that's not a prophecy on my part because I'm not a prophet. But I, I believe it's going to happen. And, uh, and it's not going to happen because of this. They were going to do it anyway. Uh, but it, it'll probably happen sooner because of this. And now we get to God's purpose. And this is the guess of the lesson, verse 14. Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say to God, Thus saith the Lord God, On that day when my people Israel dwell safely, will you not know it? Then you will come from your place out of the far north, and you and many people with you, all of them riding on horses, a great company and a mighty army. And you know, it's going to describe their weaponry and all. And when you get reading Revelation about the Battle of Armageddon, which this is not the Battle of Armageddon, but you read about the Battle of Armageddon, and the weapons seem a little odd to us. And, the, and, and so is this all Ezekiel knew about warfare, or is this what it's actually going to be? And I don't have an answer to that. I just know what's going to happen. But then he says, a great company, a mighty army, verse 15, you will, verse 16, you will come up against my people Israel like a cloud to cover the land. It will be in the latter days that I will bring you against my land so that the nations may know me when I am hallowed in you, O God, before their eyes. God's going to be hallowed, glorified, before the world because of what Gog is doing. He's going to be hallowed in Gog. And, and, what, and you already, if you know the end of the story, he's going to be hallowed in their destruction. You remember, when you're reading Genesis, God said about Pharaoh that he raised him up for his glory. Pharaoh had a rebellious heart for God's glory. And when God brought the plagues against the nation of Israel to let the children, I mean the nation of Egypt, to let the children of Israel go, those plagues were against the gods of Egypt. And he hardened Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh, if you read it, you know, we, uh, some commentators, they try to really say, no, Pharaoh hardened his heart first. You know, but it's very clear, he might have hardened his heart first, but God kept it hard and made it harder. And, and for his glory to be shown to the nation of Israel and to the nation of Egypt and the nations around them. You remember they came into Jericho and Rahab the spy said, we have heard about you. We have heard about your God. We have heard about what he has done and we are respectful and frightened. See, that's what God does. God is working in the nations for his glory and that his name may be Made known. He is going to be hallowed in the name of Israel. Now, let's read about what happened in verse 17. Thus says the Lord God, Are you he of whom I have spoken in former days, my servants, the prophets of Israel, who prophesied for years in those days that I would bring you against them? Verse 18. And it will come to pass at the same time when God comes against the land of Israel, says the Lord God, that my fury will show in my face. And God's fury will be against their atheistic rejection of him. His fury will be against their atheistic rejection of his covenant people, even though the people of Israel 
or do not believe him in him at this point, but his fury will come up. God's wrath is against evil. God's wrath, and God's wrath is one of his attributes. It is, it is equal to his love, uh, and he, he, he shows his grace and his wrath as well as he does in his love. And if you understand that, you'll have a better balance as you read the Old Testament and as you look at what's happened in history. And, and so he says this in verse 19, For my jealousy and the fire of my wrath I have spoken. For in my jealousy and the fire of my wrath I have spoken. And what's he jealous for? He's not jealous to control the nation of Israel. He, he owns everything. He is jealous for his name's sake. He's jealous for his glory, for, for his own be, being known. I, I say to you all the time, I have such a small view of God, it's hard for me to grasp that when I, when I disrespect him by my selfishness, self-centeredness, my sin, when I do that, his glory is diminished. And, 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 and he... And when people, when we sin, we sin against God, and His glory is diminished in the eyes of the world, and and God takes that seriously. And we have such a small view of God, we don't really fully understand it. I don't fully understand it. I understand it better today than I ever have, but I still don't fully understand it, or I would be a better person than what I am, even, even if I am. So, okay, now we're back to verse, the middle of verse 19. Surely in that day there shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel, so that the flesh of the sea, or the fish of the sea, and the birds of heaven, and the beasts of the field, all creeping things that creep on the earth, and all men who are on the face of the earth, shall shake at my presence. The mountains shall be thrown down, and the steep places shall fall, and every wall shall fall to the ground. So this is a great earthquake that happens. Verse 21, I'll call for a sword against Gog, Throughout all my mountains, says the Lord God, every man's sword will be against his brother, and I will bring him to judgment with pestilence and bloodshed. I will rain down on him all his troops and all the many people who are with him, flooding rains, great hailstones, and brimstone. So that sounds like Sodom and Gomorrah. So God is saying, when they are assembled against me, I'm, I'm going to, when they assemble against my people on the mountains of Israel, I am literally going to wipe them out. I'm going to destroy them. And um, so, and this is why. Verse 23. Thus I will magnify myself and sanctify myself, and I will be known in the eyes of many nations. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. It's really interesting that when, when you look at history, and when you look at prophecy, the purpose is that God be exalted, that his name be known. And he does these things that his name be known. And the world is going to know when he destroys the armies of Russia and these other civil nations on the mountains of Israel, they're not even going to get into Israel. They're not going to get into Jerusalem. He's going to destroy them on the mountain going to be a supernatural destruction and the world is going to see it the world is going to 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 be a witness to that and and it's going to be to god's glory 
Because they're going to know that they were against Israel, they were against the things of God, and, and they were completely annihilated. They weren't just defeated in battle. They were annihilated. And you go into chapter 39 and verse uh, 6, says, I will send fire on Magog and all those who live in security in the coastlands, then they shall know that I am the Lord. And then let me read verse 7. So I will make my holy name known in the midst of my people, Israel, and I will not let them profane my holy name anymore. Then the nations shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. So God is saying that these things happen, that his name be made known, and no one mistakes what happened. No one mistakes that this was of God. They might not have been a believer in God before that. They might not be a Christian afterward, but they're going to know this was God. You remember in the, in the tribulation time, toward the end of the tribulation, and this is, not, this is not it, this happens prior to that. So what happened, let, let me say the first thing first. <clears throat> in verse 39, those verses we just read, it means that there's going to be some fire and brimstone, not just on the mountains of Israel, but in the homelands of those people who are invading in Russia and Persia, Libya, and their homelands, they're going to be basically uh, suffer some of this judgment in their homelands. It's going to be a supernatural judgment. And, and what it does, it takes their power completely away. Uh, it takes their power completely away. They, they, there will never probably be an Arab uprising against Israel ever again after that. There'll be a Russian uprising, but I mean, there won't be any, there's going to be a, a, a ten-nation federation uprising against the leadership of Israel, but there won't be, it won't, it won't be any of these people who, who have come during this time. Their power will be completely disseminated. The idea that's given in these verses and, and going on in Ezekiel, the idea is that there may be, there may, there may be one-sixth of their people left after God brings, it's not a war, but after God brings this destruction. There may, of those nations, there may be one-sixth of their people left. Now, let's end with this. We see the vengeance of God, and we have already read about his purposes. Let's read one more time in verse 23. He said, that, in that verse 23, chapter 38, Thus I will magnify myself and sanctify myself, and I will be known in the eyes of many nations, then they shall know that I am the Lord. I am the Lord. God brings judgment that we would know He is the Lord. We are subject to Him. We are to glorify Him. We, we are to, uh, in faith, follow Him. We, we are to humble ourselves before him. And we just have trouble doing that. We, we, we are independent people. We're taught to be independent people. We're self-sufficient people. We don't really need the church. We don't really need, we can live, we, we can physically live without God for a while. I mean, you know, he's the one who keeps your heart pumping, you know, but for a while we can live until he chooses that we don't live anymore and then we don't live anymore. But we think we can because we have all this stuff around us and we have food to eat and place to live and we think we're self-sufficient and we're not. 
and, and, and when we have that thought within us, we're not magnifying God. We should, that's why we say grace over food. God gave us that. You say, and you know, we have this idea the farmer said, no, I, I grew that. You know, God didn't give me that, I grew that. And we, we know that, you know, God made it grow. And, you know, you can't make it grow. You can't make, you can't, you can't make anything. But God does it. He, he, he will be glorified. And he'll be glorified in the eyes of the world. So when you're watching what's happening in our world today, I hope it does a couple of things for you. I hope it breaks your heart, first of all, because it's the curse of sin. It is the curse of sin that does that, and we need to look forward one day with faith to when the curse of sin is eradicated. And when Christ sets up his kingdom, the curse of sin will be modified in a thousand-year kingdom, and at the end of that, it's going to be completely eradicated. So we need to do that, first of all. And then second, when we look around today, we need to have great compassion about the people who suffer under other people's leadership and, and have no say in the matter. And so I hope you feel that as well. Pray with me, and we'll go to church. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for our time this morning. And Father, we, <clears throat> we do pray, Lord, uh, for the people who are caught in this war in, in Ukraine and and probably the Russian soldiers, some of them who have no choices. And so we just pray that your will be done, first of all, and your name be glorified. And then we pray, we pray for grace, Lord, that your grace would be evident. We, we pray that uh, those people who are actively involved in this war, that they might see the futility of it, and they might see their need of a Savior. And Lord, you even use these circumstances to make people look outside themselves and to look toward you. And uh, Father, let us do that as well, and we will glorify you for what you do. In Christ's name, amen.